What's wrong with you people? How do y'all feel this morning? Why do you always make me define what you meant? What? That's how I feel. I don't know why you're clapping. I'm talking about you. Until you ask it correctly. Welcome to the Reformatory, the podcast where we engage in life, theology, and boutique cigars. I don't really even know what that means. <laughs> I am Josh Loftus, member at King's Cross Church in Kirkland, Washington. And with me today is a special guest because Daniel. I am not said member at church, but okay. <laughs> you are not Daniel Corey, pastor at King's <laughs> yeah. Cross Church in Kirkland, Washington. Uh, you are Jack. Jack Barry is with us in the studio today. Um, and it's because our, our very lovable, lovable co-host, Daniel Corey, is frolicking through the fields of meandering, sun, meandering, frolicking, <laughs> jaunting <laughs> through some like forsaken wasteland of backpacking trails and uh, was not here to record this episode. I'm just imagining Daniel as a cartoon and he's like in some sort of Cinderella cartoon Disney princess yes. world where the birds are flying on him and the animals are talking to him or something like that. And there's rainbows and chocolate rivers or something. Yes, that is for (laughs) sure. That is absolutely happening right now. Daniel, Daniel is in his happy place. He is in, he is in the, the great outdoors. He's in the wilderness. He's hiking around like a gentleman. Doing... He's singing. He's singing the Sound of Music soundtrack. Yes, right now. that's <laughs> right. <laughs> so Jack has uh, graciously, graciously agreed to uh, join me this week instead of us just doing no podcast. I thought, hey, let's have uh, Jack, and we've had Jack on once before, um, and we had a good time, so we thought we would do it again. So Jack, welcome, welcome Thanks. to the Reformatory, welcome to the cage, yes, the second time. For the second time, and uh, and also, my friend, uh, happy National Work Like a Dog Day. <laughs> it's it, it's uh, a day. Are you just? Do you just sit in some sort of padded bed for the rest of the day? Like, I know. <laughs> like, 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 let's be honest. Let's what be honest kind, here. What kind the of ter- dog are we talking about well, here? Are we well, talking well, about huskies? <laughs> Are we talking about greyhounds? What well, are we here's talking the thing. about here? Here's the thing. That phrase makes no sense because you have like work like a dog is a phrase, but then you also, ha- and then, but then you also have like, oh, for a dog's life. Yeah. You know? like, and that one's more accurate. Dogs just eat and sleep and get to run around and do whatever they want. Or, do- or dog day afternoon if yeah. you understand movies and Al Pacino. So. Right. So, so <laughs> like the whole work, like, oh, they're working me like a dog. Like that means that you're doing nothing. That that's what that means. That means that that you're like on a on a on a conference speaking circuit, and you're just getting pumped with food and nice hotels. Like that's that's what working like a dog looks like. Or you're a hunting dog, and you're just picking up quail. You know, just like okay, yes. So 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 it, you're but a most of your time. Lab. Yeah, you're spent in some sort of 
little observation hut or shed or shack just waiting right. for quail to get shot out of the sky. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and if that's, I mean, if that's what working like a dog is, then sure, sign me up. Are we talking but, about sheep dogs? Do you think sheep dogs was the mentality so they were she, thinking about? Sheep dogs work. They do. Yeah. Sheep dogs do work. Um, so I guess depending on the context. Nowhere yeah. in America has anyone worked like a dog, really, because American dogs really don't work. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's all the European dogs <laughs> coming over, stealing our jobs. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. Well, Jack, thank you for being on with us today. And um, I, I wanted to I wanted to take a break in the church series that Daniel and I are doing. And, and I wanted to have you on to talk about something that I think you well i know for a fact you have a lot of experience with just be, with your your service in the military uh for, you know years ago and then your current work uh helping veterans uh mm-hmm. find find schooling find um that it, it, it's primarily schooling right that's the, that's the main focus of your job right yeah so i help sir uh, i help active duty service members uh get into a community or tech college uh, into a certificate program without using their GI Bill. So nice. I focus on stuff. I focus mainly on getting them into the program, making sure that they qualify for some state grants okay. that it's no cost to them. But yeah, there's some eligibility stuff with those grants, but yeah, for the most part, it's trying to save their GI Bill so they can use it later on down the line when they really need it versus right now where it's like, Honestly, like right now, if you are trying to get out of the military, there is so many things you could do yeah. that that has no cost to you that can affect where you end up as far as employment goes. There's a right. lot of different organizations that will will give you money to to get like a a project management certificate or any kind of like IT certificates, and so yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and that's such a huge need because I think. In, in a lot of ways, I think in a lot of ways, veterans, uh, and, and I'll say especially combat veterans, um, are a, a under, uh, I don't want to say underappreciated because <laughs> we're going to get into that a little bit, um, okay. but, but perhaps an, an under, um, a less focused on group when it comes yeah. to lots of things. And, and obviously because we're the reformatory, I want to talk specifically in the context of the church itself, Mm -hmm. how we have these men and women coming into our churches, uh, coming from some pretty messed up situations, uh, whether they're overseas or, you know, fill in the blank. And, I have found, and uh, just from my conversations with you and my conversations uh, with actually quite a few other, uh, I've actually got quite a few friends that are, uh, you know, previous combat vets. And um, I don't want to say the church is, is failing because I think, I think there are, there are good churches that are, that are doing this very well. And then there's some churches that aren't, but I think that there is a lack of awareness or a lack of um, knowledge of how to properly properly lead and properly care for the hurting veterans that are in our churches. 
And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. I think one might just yeah. be a lack of awareness. Perhaps, was, yeah. you know, perhaps some people feel um, intimidated uh, to, you know, to walk up to a combat vet and say, hey, you know, are you doing okay? You know, and, and I think what I want to talk about today is, is, is one, your experience, and then how we as a church can best serve our brothers and sisters that are coming into our doors, hurting with all the things that they're dealing with. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the word that can sum up what you just talked about is a lot of churches are ill-equipped mm, or they're sure. not even equipped at all to minister to, you know, the saints in their congregation that have been in the military and experienced a lot of different traumatic events with that. Uh, we're coming out of a, of a, an era, so to say the last 20 years, let's be honest, last 20 years with global war on terrorism, with 9-11, with war in Iraq, with Libya, with everybody, with ISIS, with everything going on, um, where men and women, some men and women have deployed up to 10 times, up oh. to times of teens. And then... And each of those deployments is usually is is a year is a year, right? It's a year or at least six months. So these individuals are spending on average five to 10 years in an environment where at any moment they could be killed. Uh, To a certain extent, um, there is some immediate danger. Sometimes there is some kind of, well, I would probably say like passive danger where you may be on like a Ford operating base where mm. maybe, you know, your job isn't, maybe your job is to do analysis or to kind of what we call like battle track or like keep awareness of what's going on within the bigger kind of space that your unit's operating in. Yeah. So yeah, it depends sometimes um, for guys who are in more uh, kind of, I'd say higher, rates of operations you i mean guys like special forces Mm -hmm. that includes uh what we call like oda teams within the army so you have special special forces but under those that category of special forces you have oda teams or what we thought of or what we knew in civilian world as the a team right Mm -hmm. so the a team is actually kind of like a ripoff of what special forces does Sure. Because you have certain guys with certain specialties and then you cram them all together and then they go out and then they usually help the local civilian population do stuff. And then, yeah. So yeah, there's that there's Navy <laughs> SEALs. Um, those guys, I think, uh, have definitely, there's something going on there within their psyche, I would say, but then also within the regular, marine or soldier or airman or sailor it just depends um but i think for the for where i came from out of service in the army um i i I saw guys that were just weathered down from deployments yeah um and you know they went on especially during when Iraq, when the first, when the Iraq war started in 2003, you saw a lot of guys, they were doing up to 15 month deployments. So wow. over a year. Oh man. Um, and I know one of my friends and it, and those deployments can look different. So in Afghanistan for me, 
I wouldn't say that I was shot at, but I was definitely trying to get blown up by, <laughs> right. uh, by different people. But, uh, um, but then it could look very different for somebody else who may be, yeah. So different deployments like involve different things. One of my friends, um, who went to Biola, who has his, he's a teacher now in Eastern Washington, but he was on his deployment in Iraq. He was shot at literally every day, either wow. shot at or trying to get blown up by um, certain insurgencies within Iraq. So different deployments look differently. And yeah. Well, you know, and I think we, <clears throat> I think in general, it's obviously there's pockets where, where it, where this isn't the case, but I think in general, the vast majority of people in America and especially Christian conservatives. Um, and then even in, and, and then, you know, <laughs> zoom in even farther reformed Christians, right? The reformed culture, kind of the cultures that you and I frequent yeah. ourselves in um, are very, 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 very supportive of the military. Uh, very, very pro pro soldier, uh, pro veteran, right? All that, all, all, all that good stuff. But and you can you can correct me if you think I'm wrong here, but I think something that I have noticed, and in, and in my conversations with other veterans, um, I think we are doing a disservice to veterans by putting them on the pedestal that we do, mm-hmm. and it's not not that I I saying we need to have less respect or or that or that I am thankful less right that's not what I'm saying but I think something that I have seen in the church is that we put these veterans you know that come back uh, with all of the issues that they come back with we put them on such a pedestal that it we almost create them as being being too big not to fail or too big not to fall Right. And so you have these individuals coming back with all of these issues and having to deal with all of that stuff. And the church in, in, in some cases, instead of helping them just kind of puts them on display (laughs) in front of everybody, Um, you know, and so suss that out a little bit. I mean, do you think, do you think, do you think I'm onto something there? Yeah, you are. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, you're not, you're not too far out of the ballpark where I think most of society. Yeah. We have this sacralism in our, in our country, right? We start sure. to, if you're an American, you're maybe automatically thought of as a Christian or vice versa. Um, and that's very dangerous for a lot of different reasons. So if I've really taken to my identity as an exile, so I'm in, I'm a Christian in exile in America. Sure. Um, I think if we start looking at ourselves in that way, that changes the dynamic of how we look at other people maybe. Hmm. And so, uh, but for, for those people, for just regular people in America or in the United States, um, when you look at a service member, yeah, they're propped up on a pedestal and they're said they've, I mean, look through the, look through the, you know, myriad of TV commercials. Mm. Everybody always says they're heroes, they're heroes, they're heroes. And um, soldiers and sailors and every kind of service member is propped up as a hero. Uh, and 
That's how do you personally respond to that? Because because I know you've served and I know and I know that that you've been in those environments. Yeah. Where, you know, people will walk up and say, oh, you know, just thank you. Thank you for your service. I really appreciate your sacrifice. Uh, you are you are a real hero in America. Like, like, how do you you as a reformed Christian that has also served in the military? How, what like what what are your thoughts on that? It uh, it is the I would say that when people say thank you for your service, it is possibly the most uncomfortable thing I ever, <laughs> I ever experienced. Literally like I kind of squirm and I, it kind of feels like, I don't know. I'm putting on, a, I don't know, clothes that don't fit or are weird. I don't know. It's the most hmm. uncomfortable thing ever because a lot of us who go, I mean, ma- I would say the majority of people you ask, uh, service member wise, they'll be like, I just did a job. Like sure. I didn't do it. I didn't do it for the reasons that you think I did. Like I wasn't captain America here. Let's be honest about that. Sure. You know, like, sure. um, and for even like myself, it's like, I think people like romanticize a lot about how service members got where they were or did what they did. And Honestly, like I joined the service because like I didn't know how to pay for college and the army could pay that for me. (laughs) So it's like, all right, fine. I'll get job secure. And at the time, 2010, we were coming out of a recession too. And so I had job security at that point. I had a lot of things. And so I did it primarily so that I could get my bachelor's degree and then I could then afterwards be a commissioned officer for about four, you know, four, I was in about almost five years, but mm. during that time I had, you know, job security. So sure. I don't, first of all, we have to get this idea of romanticizing the military out of our heads. Um, it can be very, it can be somewhat good in the sense of you have kind of like a, a fraternity in in a case in the military but it's different um yeah the i mean i don't know if i don't know if people have even experienced what it's like to live in a barracks but that is possibly the worst experience <laughs> ever for a lot of service members and a well, lot of people a lot of people in the army can testify to that or even sure. the marine corps yeah uh, for that matter but yeah. i mean the barracks i remember the barracks uh, for my unit, it was, if you didn't have a car, it sucked. Like those guys and gals were basically regulated. It is. And people say, Oh, barracks. It's like college. No way. It's not even close. to college. You're on a base. That's basically, you have to have a certain identification, get on that base. Right. And then you can go outside into the free world, so to say, you know? Right. Right. I mean, not to say that, you don't have somewhat freedom within like a certain military post, but yeah, sure. it's just, it's a, it's somewhat of a mirage or it's somewhat of a taste of, but yeah. it's not the full meal deal. Sure. So. Well, and you know what you, you touched on something uh, just a little bit back that, that I want, I want to dig a little deeper into. You said that, that our culture today and our church kind of in general romanticizes. Um, yeah. 
military service and romanticizes combat and sets veterans up on a pedestal. Right. Um, So honestly, the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, how would any other individual, let's take a pastor, you know, you're a pastor of a church. How would any other individual or pastor handle a constant um, bombardment, if you will, of being told they're the greatest and they're a hero. I've yeah, so I've actually seen this a lot, and I think this is why I've seen a kind of a congruency between pastors who die from suicide and service members who die from suicide. Yeah. So pastors who die from suicide a lot are put on this pedestal, mm. and they're and they're kind of glorified and they're under the microscope and a lot of perceptions are made of them and they are somewhat romanticized, I would say to a certain degree. And they're put up in that spotlight. And when you put the weight of all the stuff that I talked about on their shoulders, of course they probably might have thoughts of suicide. Same thing with service members. Service members, when you put them up on a pedestal and you call them heroes and you have this view of them all the time of uh, they can do no wrong and all this other stuff, that is a crushing weight for them because if they mess up, it's, they're going to think like their whole life's ending. Wow. If, they can, if they confess to weakness, right. I think it's same with a pastor. If a, pa- if a pastor confesses to a certain sin or anything like that, it is end game for them, so well, to say. Well, and, and like we live in, you know, I, I'm very fascinated with this, with this, uh, with this comparison of, of combat veterans and pastors, because we live in, especially in the Christian, the, the Christian culture specifically, we live in a culture where pastors and, and veterans are not given room for weakness. Right. Right. If you're a pastor, you're supposed to be like the most spiritual one in the room. You're supposed to be the strongest in the room. You're supposed to be a phrase that I absolutely hate a, a leader among equals. Right. Um, And with a veteran coming back, like you're supposed to be like what Hollywood and video games make like this, this, this battle hardened, uh, you know, seasoned warrior that comes back and just, you know, lives in it, you know, basking in the victory that they won and any in both of those cultures, anytime either one of those groups of people either confess or feel as if, you know, they are deficient in something we as a, as, as an overwhelming culture, not, not across the board, but overwhelmingly, I think have not created an environment to where they believe it is beneficial, beneficial, actually good for them to confess those things instead of something that they feel like they need to hide because of the repercussions that are going to happen. Right. So you have these veterans who are in a environment, uh, you know, within the church where they are put up on a pedestal, put up as, you know, the, the strongest among us, and they don't feel as if they are in an environment where they can be like, you know what? I'm really messed up and I need some help uh, because that's going to destroy the image. Yeah. Well, I think also too, what you're talking about kind of goes within the framework of our country in a, in a sense of, um, 
I think a lot of men, especially I'm just talking about men. I think women do join the military for certain reasons as well too, but men usually join the military because they, uh, they don't have structure in their life and Mm. uh, they don't have maybe a father figure in their life or they just don't have any discipline or direction. I think for the most part, at least within the enlisted ranks, maybe sometimes. And so what happens is in the military, I've had to deal with this as well too, is you get your motivation is being shamed. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 Broken down so they can build you up. Right. And so your motivation is being shamed sometimes in order that, Hey, you suck. You need to do better. Um, And I feel like, if, if like a pastor or, and if, I, I feel like if a pastor says, I feel like I'm getting shamed or something along those lines, uh, it is not going to be, it's, it's just not going to go well for them within the culture that we have today. Right. So I think that, um, I think a lot of the times when it comes to pastors and, and service members alike is that confession, like, don't be afraid to confess things with people that you trust. Hmm. And I try to instill that within <laughs> my discipleship group, which is all men. And I say, Hey, you guys can confess anything you want to with, with us, with me, with the group, uh, because we're not here to, to shame you, which I think our culture. And I think right now, at least millennials and below, uh, as far as the generation, I think probably people who are 35 and younger are experiencing a time where uh, men or there just isn't a whole lot of father figures or uh, they've just kind of been shooed off and led on their own. And so they have to think about sure. life and try and go about life, which is hard. And I would say that I've been one of those men where I didn't grow up in the church and I didn't have really a whole lot of men be my spiritual father or I had some mentors, but I didn't have men take me under their wing and be my spiritual father. Right. Where they could teach me how to be a man who is living for Christ. And I think that goes hand in hand too, with what we're talking about as well, because if we just are trying to shame ourselves into being better people and being better Christians, I don't think that's going to help you at all. <laughs> well, no, no. And, and it, it creates this environment to where people it just, it just breeds pride and arrogance is what it does, yeah. you know, and, and it feeds into our, I think, innate desire to, to, <laughs> to be seen a certain way, um, you know, and for veterans, whether that's something that is innate in them or something that has been, has been, has been drilled into them by our culture, you know, Hollywood and things like that, that, you know, this is what a veteran looks like. And yeah. if you don't, if you don't make this mold, then, you know, there's something wrong with you. Right. Um, yeah, and I think that's very – I think that is kind of getting exposed a lot um, from, I think, from within the church of how damaging that is. If I think within reform circles, uh, if you don't look like this per se – then you're not in the club. Yeah. yeah right? Dude. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, yeah. if you don't, and I've, and I've even heard this, I mean, if we want to go a little bit deeper, I've even heard this from just people who are of different ethnicities trying to go into a church. Right. And then they've had a very bad experience sure. uh, with that. And so uh, there's this, there's this assimilation stuff that's going on. That's not helping. 
I don't think that's going to help out, but yeah, it, it, within reform circles, that's definitely the case where if you don't confess, if, you know, if you aren't a, you know, if you don't pick this confession over this confession, or if you're not doing this over this, or if you're not this over this, right. Um, I know plenty of reform pastors um, who, you know, come after me for not being, you know, pedo Baptist or something like that. Sure, but, sure, sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's the big thing I think in certain, in certain reform circles, if you're oh, not pedo Baptist, like get out, like yeah. you're not a part of us. You're not actually coming in. <laughs> right? Um, right. So, yeah, I mean that there's, there's a lot of segues that you talk about with service members that are very relatable within the church. And I just don't think people take the time to look at that of how much um, there, how much similarities there are and how yeah. much similarities there can be. So you can speak into those areas. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's not, it's not um, like I said, it doesn't, it doesn't breed anything. It doesn't create a good environment ever because anytime you're using some sort of external uh, devices, if you will, of, you know, trying to define who people are instead of using the word of God, instead of using the relationship that I have with this person because of Christ, um, you're, you're never going to get to the root of issues, right? So you have veterans coming into the church who let's say are struggling with some major PTSD, which, and offshoot, we can talk about this for a second. I don't like the term PTSD or more specifically, I don't like the D on the end. I don't yeah. like that. It's a disorder. I don't, th I think that should be taken out. I think it should just be PTS because there's nothing about your bot. There's, there's nothing disorderly about your body going through withdrawals of such high stress combat situations when you are in that for that amount of time and you've seen some horrific things and, and, and experienced some horrific things, it is natural. It is a natural response that your body begins to shut down and go into, go into defense mode, <laughs> if yeah. you will, and seize up. Like, I don't like slapping the term disorder sure. on our hurting veterans that come back because then they're just like, oh, well, okay, on top of everything – else that i have to deal with now i have a disorder like you know yeah. now i'm now i'm different than everybody else right and well, and, I, and i i just don't like that i think it should just be i think it should just be pts or for that matter just anybody who's gone through a very traumatic event that's left right. them scarred. Yeah. um saying exactly. that saying that they have a disorder it's like insult to injury um it, so it is literally kicking them while they're down yeah, like the, the, they're they're struggling with all this stuff, and be like, <laughs> you kick them, be like, ha, you have a disorder, and it's like, well, yeah. it's not. It's a very natural reaction to going through any type of high stress or, you know, you know, horrific situation. Yeah, I th I think that one issue too, um, that I think that we haven't done well in the church is actually treat veterans and people who are in the military um i think uh akin to uh, uh civilian counterparts so those people who are outside the military so I, I think that i can do a fairly decent job of spotting who the who the veteran is you know sure sure but um a lot of the times um 
we treat those people. I was just talking about this with one of my pastors who lives down the street from me. He asked the question of like, how can we better um, minister to those people on Fort Lewis or joint base Lewis McCord who are air force or army maybe. Yeah. And it's like, well, it, that's going to be tough. Cause you have to, in some sense, you have to build rapport with people <laughs> sure. and building rapport and building trust with people. It can be hard for, for some. Uh, and then if they know that you're a veteran, that kind of gives you a way in to build a little bit better rapport and trust with folks. So yeah. I think the biggest thing is trying to, if you have somebody who's in the military in your congregation or who is a veteran, I would say try to train yourself to not think of them as, or putting them on a pedestal. Yeah. Try to think of them as the same type of person who goes through similar struggles and pains that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the same thing where if like your pastor like, yes, your pastor is your shepherd, and yes, he is leading you, but he's also uh, a sheep as well, too, part sure. of God's flock. And so, yeah, I think that looking at service members from that angle and your identity, that's that's a big part of this conversation. Uh, like I said, if you put that person on a pedestal and you start to romanticize about their service and everything like that and their affiliation right. with the military. Yeah. Then that, I, like, I think, like yeah. How, how many people did you kill? Right. Yeah. Like, yeah it just, like, like, did you see any combat? <laughs> I remember. So I was in Chelan and there was a, uh, one of my girlfriend's cousins, uh, kids was asking me a lot of poignant questions about, cause I wear some memorial bracelets for guys who I knew who either passed away with me when they were in my unit or who were mentors and they passed away. Yeah. And kids don't, kids don't have that. Oh, meter. Dude, kids have zero filter. So like they, yeah. they were asking me like poignant questions and it's just like, Whoa, it's like, uh, it's like, how do I word this? Right. You know, to a, to a child, to a kid, uh, who doesn't really have concepts of war and doesn't have concepts of combat and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that, uh, the fact that, yeah, I think that other countries have done it better is because they've had mandatory service. Mm. Oh, sure. Yeah. Like, uh, Israel, right. Israel has that. Uh, if you look at a lot of, uh, South Korea has that a lot Mm. of European countries have that. So they don't have, sometimes the issues that we have because it's all like they can all relate to one another because they've all been in those situations versus sure. we've kind of seg we've kind of made this a caste system almost yeah where it's like these one percent are the warrior caste and they're gonna go fight for us but then you've ostracized them from 99 percent of the society and so so yeah it's no surprise that they have medical issues they have pts issues they have you know drug and alcohol and substance abuse issues or they have mental health disorder issues or anything along those lines so yeah when you're going to ostracize people out of your society in a certain way that i think that's happened to a majority of the veteran population of course like 
this shouldn't surprise you. <laughs> well, 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 and I think what's interesting is, is you know, you, you use the term ostracize and normally in, in almost probably 99% of, of situations, the term ostracize is used as a very negative thing. Like this person did something bad, so we're putting him out of the camp, right? But you can ostracize people and groups thinking it's a good thing as well, yeah. you know, because the vast majority of people, you know, possibly listening are like, well, I mean, I, I always thank service members and I always, you know, put them on, on a, a different level than, than I'm at. Right. Um, and I don't think we realize the, the long lasting damage that that does to an individual when that is their life right? Instead of viewing this person as a brother or sister in Christ who struggles with the same things I do, struggles with different things that I do, but the remedy for both of our problems is the same. It's, it's the gospel. It's Christ. They need Jesus and they need to be shown Jesus by their brothers and sisters, right? When we don't take that approach and, and, and we take the, the opposite and we're like, well, you know, you're, you're obviously a, you know, combat vet. So you're on a different level. We're going to put you, we're going to put you over here. Uh, it just, it just furthers that societal barrier that's already there. And it makes the ability to have real relationships, real accountability uh, and, and real, real substance. Uh, it makes it so much harder. And when you don't enter into that and don't build relationships and actually enter into and be uh you know, having a disposition of love and humility towards people who are not like you. Yeah. You're going to start to ostracize them. So no wonder when they come up and they say, Hey, I'm struggling in this area. Well, how have you like loved, you know, your brother well in those situations. Right. So we have to ask that too. It's not just for the service member. I think it's for everybody within the church, you know, do, are they feeling ostracized because of, this certain time that we're going through where there's a lot of racial tension within our country. And I think that sometimes you just have to, you know, own up to the fact that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be able to empathize with me or sympathize with me to a certain extent. So it's all like, maybe you have to, the same way that we've said, Hey, it's like, I don't know what it's like to be another ethnicity but I hear your story and there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering in it. You have to do that with the veteran too. Like you don't know. It's like, you don't know what it's like to try and get blown up. No, <laughs> you no, know? And so no. it's like, but you but, can say like, Hey, it's like, but I'm here to listen to you. Right. right. I'm well, here to be with you. So. Well, and, and, and here's the thing, like, at, you know, at the risk of, at the risk and, and, and I'm not, I don't think this is coming from a place of pride. It's, I don't, I don't, I really don't think it is, but at the risk of sounding like that, I don't need to know what it's like in order to be effective in a veteran's life. Mm, okay. Like, because I, I have, every Christian has the ability given to them by the Holy spirit to be Jesus for that person. Yeah. Now I might not be able to, to you know, understand the specific, um, the specific issues, whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. I may never truly understand what what that is like, 
Um, but I do have the ability because of Christ to be an encouragement, to be a source of love, accountability, uh, and to show Christ to that individual and get down to the level to where real change can happen. Because if I have the Holy Spirit, you have the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. We both believe in the gospel. That is that, that tie is so much stronger than any, any other bond that, that is on planet earth. It's stronger than, than race. It's stronger than ethnicity. It's stronger than the brotherhood and, and the true real brotherhood that comes in the trenches of war. There is nothing stronger than the bond of Christ's blood that unites his people. Yeah. And I think we as a church have forgotten that. And we have almost, almost abandoned that, that battleground and tried to deal with things on a level that, you know, that that isn't actually going to do any lasting good. I think we're seeing the effects of of abandoning that that specific battlefield, which I really think is the root of so many issues. Mm-hmm. Plus, like, here's the thing too: like, veterans aren't a monolith. Mm. Yeah. Just because you have this romanticized maybe view of a veteran, that doesn't mean that they're going to be veterans like that in your church. Right. Uh, it's just going to be different. So, yeah. yeah. So, wrapping up here because I think I think I think we're coming to the end of time. We could talk for hours and hours about yeah. this stuff for sure. <laughs> um, but uh, you know what, Jack? Maybe we just need to create another podcast. Maybe <laughs> maybe that's what we need to do. We've talked many a times about this, Josh, about yes. different offshoots of podcasts that we could make. So <laughs> all of them are still floating. They're still floating, yes. waiting, waiting to be grabbed. But um, they may. I'll just sneak peek. They may come to fruition if Doc and Devo does not become uh, a conference. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah, we're gonna go out there and just have nothing to do. So. Well, podcast plan. What the heck? Um, No, but, um, you know, so as we wrap up here, give, you know, me and our listeners just some, I think some, some gospel centered advice of how to best care for and love and interact with, uh, you know, this, this specific people group that we're talking about here. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, love. I mean, let's be honest, like Jesus has commanded us to, to love God and love our neighbors. And um, some of our neighbors are service members who are, have been in the military or who are in the military. I would say, A, don't automatically go to what society tells you to do, which is to thank them. Sure. Just out of a disposition, treat them like a normal person. Right. Love them like you would any other brother or sister in Christ, for that matter. If you're talking about a a veteran within your church, treat them like any other brother and sister in Christ because they're going through the same struggles that you are. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're going through certain other issues, but that's kind of separated to a certain effect. But treat them like any other person you would. Don't automatically put them on the pedestal. Don't automatically in your mind go, oh, I have to thank them for doing this. And, but it's like, listen, 
most of veteran mindsets are going to be, I signed up to do a job. I didn't sign up to be heralded as some sort of model, you know, as some sort of hero or anything like that. I just signed up to do a job. That's most of what service members are thinking about in their mind. So treat them as you would a a person within your church that's a plumber, a person within your church that works for maybe a college or who's a teacher or who's a nurse. A lot of those different aspects within those different professions are, they have some sort of uh, heroic method within them. I would say treat service members as you would anybody else and maybe ease into the, the questions, the cliche questions, um, not so fast. Just yeah. don't, just pump the brakes. Right. <laughs> um, right. Just get to know them as a person because that's what they want. Most of the time they are looking for not people to validate them as service members they're trying to ha- have honest connections with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And they don't get that. Well, like, let's be yeah. like, they don't, they don't get that hundred percent. They're looking for people they can relax around. Yeah. And not have to feel like they have to fit the mold that society is telling them to fit. Yeah. Plus a lot of service members, the army, um, I've seen it a lot of times as far as believers that I know within the military, it is very slim. And so if that person was, is within your church and is interacting with non-believers on the regular, it is going to be a very lonely place. Yeah. And so they are going to have to have encouragement from you as well too, as far as maybe doing something together. And that's going to be a challenging time as well because hashtag COVID. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, there's going to be, incidents like that as well too where and and it's a two-way street i mean you know you can put those invites out there maybe they don't want to be invited for whatever reason but i would say be diligent to check up on them to make sure that they're not being uh isolated right because i think out of isolation with any group of people there's gonna come uh some issues with that so yeah yeah show christ to your brothers and sisters doesn't matter what they do doesn't matter who they are we're called to interact with them the exact same and love them as christ would love them uh and uh i think yeah i think we would find that uh, we are we're much more effective in the church at handling people's problems and being effective in uh in counseling and things of that sort when when we take that take that road so all good stuff jack um I appreciate you being on uh, the Reformatory. Thank you for taking Daniel's spot as he is uh, uh, flaunting and lollygagging and uh, all of the other he is Dis- cartoon he adjectives. Is Disney princessing amongst the mountains yeah. or something <laughs> along. <laughs> oh, I hope he listens to this. Yeah, that's going to be amazing. Jack, before we go, um, give a plug for your podcast over there at the BOA. So Brothers of Ash is going through some renovations, I would I was, say. I was going to say, you guys haven't <laughs> dropped an app in a while. No, we haven't. Uh, one, of our, one of our guys is actually moving down to California. Uh, Why? Uh, uh, mainly for some family, family stuff going on in their family. They just gotcha. need to be connected to their family and minister to a certain part of their family right now. And then he's pretty mobile because he can can kind of switch jobs because he's in he works for amazon so it's pretty easy for him to kind of 
go from the Seattle area down to kind of the Bay Area of San Fran where they're going to move to. So Stockton, I think, yeah, it's around Stockton that I think they're going to live in. So, but uh, that and then some other, I mean, guys have moved away from Tacoma, so it's hard to get on everybody's schedule and record episodes and so what you're saying is you are you are you are podcast you are podcast less right now i'm a free agent you're a free agent (laughs) so that means that means you you can so you can bring me on reformatory or you know start to start to give my and and plug my my services to other people i guess i don't know there we go there we go well (laughs) for anyone that, that wants to brothers of ashes all over you guys have you have 21 eps that you can listen to. So yeah. by the time they get their stuff together, maybe maybe you'll be maybe. caught up. Maybe you'll be we'll caught see. up. Or Jack and I will just create a new one. Maybe know? it was maybe it was predestined that Brothers of Ash go away and out of the ashes rises a new phoenix. Maybe I don't you know. should just, just maybe you should Yes, maybe you should just <laughs> keep it going and just do like an Al Moler like solo project and just call it Brother of Ash. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> okay, that's that's probably fair. Uh, well, hey, everyone, we appreciate you listening. Uh, you can catch us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Reformatory Pod. We are on Patreon. It does cost money to do this stuff. Um, and Daniel, don't pay no shrill. None of it. So, if you would, for the, for the, honestly, the cost of less than, less than the cost of one coffee a month, you too could be a Patreon supporter and have your name heralded through the halls of this podcast. We really appreciate the support. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you on the next step, of which Daniel will most likely be on, of the Reformatory. Thanks for listening.